Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome. Today is Monday, December 3rd, 2012, and this is John Friend. You're listening to the Truth Militia radio program on Blog Talk Radio. Be sure to visit truthmilitia.com, where you can find information about past and upcoming shows, and check out my personal blog at www.johnfriendsblog.blogspot.com. Tonight, I have a very special guest with me, a man whose work I've followed quite, clo- quite closely for four or five months now. I wish I had been following it for much longer because he has a wealth of information about some of the most important subjects, in my opinion. He is a historian and scholar of ancient literature. His name is William Fink. Be sure to check out his website at Christogenia.org where you can find many of his essays, radio programs, and other important documents. William, welcome to the program. It's an honor and a privilege to be speaking with you this evening. Hello. Thank you, and praise Yahweh. I'm humbled. Excellent. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad that uh, we can make this happen. Um, you know, I, the topic for tonight is going to be uh, Adolf Hitler and Mein Kampf in particular um, in, in Chapter 11, uh, Nation and Race, specifically in Mein Kampf. I think that chapter alone we could probably talk for four or five hours about easily. Um, but anyways, to get started, I'd like uh, for you to maybe give us just a little bit of a background um, and, and talk about your website, Christagenia.org and also talk about the, uh, the Mein Kampf project that you have there as well. And sort of just um, you know, let us know what got you interested in this subject and how, you know, how your research has developed over the years. Well, well I, I found Christian Identity, or Christian Identity found me in 1997, I believe it was. And, and somebody I knew had handed, handed me a couple of small books, which by now, everybody, all identity Christians are familiar with. They came from Bertrand Compare, Raymond Capt, and, and um, William J. Cameron, who was Henry Ford's editor at the Dearborn Independent. And, and I read these books, and um, I had a lot of spare time at the time, and I, had to, I decided that I wanted to see if the material in these books, if, if the arguments and, and the theories that they were propounding were true. And basically, the um, the books claimed that the the people of Europe were, for the most part, settled 
from the ancient Hebrews of the Bible. So I began first by reading the Bible and then by reading all of the ancient classical literature and inscriptions and archaeology that I could possibly find. And, and that's what led to my development of the essays and, and the, um, the, the New Testament translation because I taught myself Koine Greek and, and I could talk about it very academically. And, and, and all of the other material at Christagenia.org. I, I, and, and you'll find history and biblical essays and language essays and all sorts of things. Well, well I, um, I read Mein Kampf. I read Mein Kampf just out of curiosity because awakening to the, the Jewish problem and, and the role of the Jews throughout ancient and modern history, I wanted to learn more about Adolf Hitler and, and National Socialist Germany and, and it seemed to me that fascism was a reaction to Jewish capitalism and to communism. And, and of course, reading Mein Kampf, I learned that I was right. Reading Mein Kampf was an entire, um, it, it was an entire affirmation of all my own knowledge that, that I had garnered, garnered from the Bible and from ancient history. And, and Adolf Hitler even though he didn't um, have the understanding that the Germanic people actually did come from the Hebrews of the Old Testament, and I can prove that to um, any ex you know to the, the the greatest extent that it can be proven, because none of us were eyewitnesses, right? Adolf Hitler didn't understand that, but he understood that Jesus Christ and the nature of Christ were the nature of the Aryan man, and, and he was right. And he understood that the Jew was absolutely and forever contrary, not only to the Aryan race, but to the entire creation and order of God as a whole. And he was right. And, and everything that Adolf Hitler professed in Mein Kampf, I had already understood. I, I mean, I may not be able to express it as astutely as Adolf Hitler did. He, the man was a genius. However, I understood it from my own study of the Bible and history. The, um, the, the, the economic and social structure of, of National Socialist Germany are absolutely Christian in their essence. If I were, um, well, well, if I were ever afforded the opportunity to create a, a, a biblical Christian state in modern times, it would probably look a lot like National Socialist Germany. It was ethnically, ethnically homogenous. The people had a strong sense of, of patriarchy and therefore patriotism, because anybody could be a patriot, but you can't be a patriot with me unless we have a common origin and a common history. And, and all of this uh, all of these Christian precepts concerning the sacrifice of one's own well-being for the benefit of, the, of his race, concerning the, the, the care for your brethren and the lifting up uh, of your brother, it, it's, they're all Christian precepts. And, and national socialism is a Christian philosophy from the core. You know, I, 
and see, I've been struggling with this for a while to try to figure out exactly, you know, where Christianity fits in with Adolf Hitler and, and, and National Socialism. And, you know, I got to admit, I think that you're right. Um, I was actually just reading uh, the chapter we're going to be talking about, in, you know, in particular tonight. I just reread it this weekend. And, I mean, throughout this chapter, Hitler is talking about the creator. He's talking about, uh, you know, nature, and he's using capital letters, you know, in the text when he's writing these things. Um, he's talking about fate. Um, and, and stuff like this. So, I mean, it's clear that he was definitely influenced uh, by Christianity, although, um, you know, I don't think that we could say that he's, he would be, you know, a traditional Catholic or, you know, an establishment type well, Christian. Why? That is why mainstream Judeo-Christians, they, they don't know this, but they're not Christians at all. They're Jews. Mainstream Judeo-Christians, between the ears, they're Jews. That, that, that they're taught um, prosperity. They're taught to chase the almighty dollar in the name of prosperity. It's the perfect religion. The, the mainstream Judeo-Christianity, the way it's taught in America, well, I can't speak for Europe, but in America, it was developed by Jews. Bullinger was in bed with Jews. Spurgeon and, and, and um, Schofield was in bed with Jews. People, mo most American Protestants learn their Christianity from either Bullinger's Bible or Schofield's Bible from their notes. And, and, and they were in bed with Jews. And, and basically, the work that Schofield did was commissioned by Samuel Untermeyer. He, he was financed by Samuel Untermeyer at the Lotus Club in New York. The, the man is, well, well, I don't know if he was a Jew ethnic, in the ethnic sense, but he sure as hell did their work. And their books are vile and, and anti-Christian through and through. That's why they're still on the bookshelves today. Yeah. Real Christian books, there's no way they would be on a shelf in bookstores today after 100 years. Oh, absolutely. And and I think you know mainstream Judeo-Christianity nowadays is basically worshiping the Jews. They're, they're taught and, and, and preached to, to basically worship Israel, worship the Jews. Well, well, um, and, and many of them, many of them even go over to Israel and actually, essentially, become slaves to the Jews and, and you know work on their farms, and you know harvest their crops and all this stuff. So I mean, they are basically slaves of the Jews, and that's what they're taught. Well, well, they're, they're worshiping the Antichrist because the Jews are the Antichrists. The yeah, word Antichrist appears in Scripture four times. All four times, it's in the Epistles of John, who is writing in the first century A.D. and is saying. They who deny that Yahshua or Jesus is the Christ, they are the Antichrists, plural. He says already there are many Antichrists, plural, which have come into the world. The Jews are the Antichrist. They have the, the, all these Judeo-Christians looking for some future supernatural Antichrist, and, and they have them all distracted with all that garbage, that, that, that sci-fi garbage, when indeed they are the act, they are the Antichrist, and they have been playing that role throughout history for, for I'd like to say for two thousand years, but it's really been for many many thousands of years because they had different names in the Old Testament. Yeah, there, there's no doubt about that. If you ask me now, looking back and, and you know really kind of getting a better understanding of this conspiracy, there's absolutely no doubt. You know, the Jews throughout history they have been the destroyers of civilization. Um, and this is something certainly that Adolf Hitler recognized, and he, and he writes quite eloquently about it throughout Mein Kampf. Um, and, and I'd like to just read a quote real quick, um, you know, just kind of talking about uh, Hitler's perspective of the, who the Jews were and, and, and Christianity. 
And he says here, this is on page of my edition of Mein Kampf. Now, I have the uh, the official Nazi English translation, which was the, the James Murphy translation. However, it was not, it was never finished. Um, and I'm not sure. Are you familiar with this with this translation, Bill? I, I have the Murphy translation in front of me. The, the Murphy translation, a couple of plain errors have been pointed out to me over time by students of the German. Uh, that The Ford translation supposedly corrects, but the Ford translation is rather new. The copyrights are held closely. I, I don't feel right sharing it freely on a Mein Kampf site, even though I would like to, so I don't do it. Okay, yeah. You, well, I, I just bring that up because I was actually looking at the PDF uh, version of Mein Kampf you have on your site. And, and I mean, there, there are some minor differences in the text. Um, I mean, for instance, the, the chapter that, that I, uh, I'd like to talk about, Chapter 11, in my edition, it's actually titled uh, Nation and Race. And I think it's a little bit different in the version you have on your website. Right. I believe Murphy amended his translation after the war. I, I believe so. I'm, I'm not 100% positive, but there is a history of emendations there. Right. And yeah, we, well, the, the version that I have, this was the version um, that James Murphy never actually finished. He was actually in Germany uh, in the 30s, and he was translating uh, Mein Kampf. That's the original. You have the original. Right, exactly. It is the original, and it's it's full of grammatical errors and misspellings, and it's re it's actually pretty interesting. I mean, you can read it. You know, you can sit down and read it, and, and you'll have no problems, but it's just kind of interesting how – they basically kicked him out of the country, and he never got to finish it, and they ended up just publishing what he had, essentially, is, is what happened. Right. At least that's what I gather. But anyways, I just wanted to talk about that real quick. But, but Hitler writes on page 212, he says – and he's speaking of the Jew. He says, his life is of this world only, and his mentality is as foreign to the true spirit of Christianity as his character was, to, as his character was foreign to the great founder of the new creed 2,000 years ago. So, I mean, he's basically saying that the Jew is the polar opposite of the Aryan, and I think that's quite clear for you know anybody that's paying attention at this point. Well, well right, absolutely. And I have to qualify something. You know, I love Adolf Hitler. He was a brilliant man, but he didn't really understand ancient history. He did not understand that the Jews are not the people of the Old Testament, and, and that the Old Testament, the, the people of the Old Testament, they are basically Christians before Christ. Christ did not found a new creed. Ah, uh, okay, I see what you're saying. The, the Jews have never been Christians before or after Christ. They were never worshippers of Yahweh, the God of, Ibu, of, of Israel, the God of the Hebrews. They are not the Israelites of the Old Testament. They are not Hebrews. Some of them are in part. Uh, I mean, they have the blood of Judah in their veins, but they're also a mixed race and, and have the blood of just a, I, I like to say that if you take all the DNA in the world, put it in a blender, when you pour it out, you'll have a Jew. <laughs> because that's yeah. basically what they are. They're the most mongolized people. That they, they are, and, and, and we discussed this briefly pre-show, that they are a race, but they're not a race. Because the way people think of a race it is in, in terms of racial purity, right? They're not a pure race, as we would think of, of – um, uh, of maybe a, a German shepherd or, or a hyena or, or a, any particular species that we believe not to be mixed. But they are a race in the sense that, that they pass down the same corrupted genes from generation to generation. Anything that passes down the same genes from generation to generation, whether it's pure or not, is still a race. Yeah, you know, and, and this is something that I think, you know, a lot of people that are in this in this movement, I guess, not necessarily, you know, Christian identity or whatever, but 
people that are just sort of waking up to, to you know, that Israel is a big problem and, and the organized Jewish community is a big problem. There's still sort of this debate as to who exactly the Jews are. You know, are the Jews the people of the Old Testament? Are the Jews merely a, a, a white, you know, are they, are they part of white civilization? They just have a different religion. You know, are the Jews a, a distinct race? And this is something I wanted to talk to you about. Um, I was I was reading an article earlier today in uh, the o uh, Occidental Observer, and it was uh, written by uh, Cooper Sterling, and he wrote a review of a book by a Jew um, called Legacy, a Genetic History of the Jewish People. And this Jewish guy wrote this entire book documenting that the Jews are not simply a religious or cultural, you know, entity. They are in fact linked by DNA, linked by blood. Um, and, and, you know, he goes into and he talks about the different sects of Judaism, you know, the Ashkenazi and the, the Mizrahi and, and all these different groups of Jews, but they are all linked genetically and, and through their DNA. Well, well, yes, they are. And a lot of people on the a lot of people on the Christian right, especially these last 20 years, that they try to claim that the, that the Jews are Khazars, that they have no Jewish blood in them whatsoever, that the um it's I don't like to call them Jews even because they're really not. I, I consider Jew a um, a birth defect, a congenital birth defect which can only be inherited by having one parent that has that birth defect. That that's my my paradigm anyway. That the um there were a people in in the Bible called Kenites, and and there were a people in the Bible called the Rephaim, and they could be traced down through the Bible where, where they mingle with with all of the tribes of Canaan. In, in, in the 21st, 22nd century, by, by the 21st or 22nd centuries B.C., by the time of Abraham, they're mingled with the tribes of Canaan, the, the Kenites or the descendants, that they get their name, the patronymic origin of their name is with Cain in the Bible. The Kenites and the Rephaim and the Canaanites, that they all mingled together. They infiltrated, um, the Kenite scribes were in Judah in one chronicles. They were infiltrating the old kingdom of Judah. That They, they were... Um, taking over the offices at that time and, and getting into their fingers into whatever they could. There were a people related to the Canaanites called the Edomites. And after the Babylonians destroyed Jerusalem in 585 BC, only 42,000 people of Judah who were actually of Judah ever returned in, in, in the biblical records. It, it may have been a few more than that, but not many. The 42,000 who returned established a new kingdom called Judah in Jerusalem, which was at first, um, it, it was subject to the Persians, and then it was subject to Egypt and the Seleucids, and it went, and, and it went back and forth a few times between the Egyptians and Greeks. And, and finally, under the Maccabees, who were high priests, they gained their independence circa 155 B.C., now, now, there's a big gap in history, but from 155 B.C., we could pretty much tell everything that happened in Judea. And in 130 B.C., the Maccabees grew quite strong, and the people in Jerusalem grew quite strong, and, and of course needed elbow room. And they went and they conquered all of the Canaanites and all of the Edomites in the surrounding territory. The real Israelites had been taken out had all been taken out and removed from the land by 585 B.C. And, and there are many Assyrian inscriptions and Persian inscriptions, aside from the biblical record, that fully establish that. And, and I've studied all of those inscriptions. 
the the Edomites had moved up from the south into the land, and and the Canaanites that continued to reside in the land because they were in league with the Babylonians. Well, well, all of these people in 130 BC, according to the historian Flavius Josephus, but the geographer, the Greek geographer Strabo also corroborates this, all of these people became Judeans and started practicing the religion of the Judeans, which by then was called by the Greeks Judaism. All by 125 BC, it was said and done, the Edomites and Canaanites, the ancient enemies of the Israelites, had become Judeans in the modern period. They're called Jews. So let me ask you this then. Okay, so basically what you're saying is that the, these Edomites and these Canaanites essentially infiltrated and t took over, you know, through marriage and, and through, you know, usurping, you know, the government and, and whatnot. Is that essentially the... What well, well, yes, they did. By, by 80 BC, Herod, the father of Herod the Great, what was an Edomite general that had become very influential with, with Hyrcanus, the, the last of the... Um, that with, with, with the last of the Maccabee kings, and his son was Herod the Great. The Jews call him Herod the Great. He was really Herod the Slimeball. Well, well, Herod the Great actually ended up usurping the throne, killing the last of the Maccabees, killing all the princes of Judah, bribing Mark Antony with 900 talents of silver to have him made king, which happened by 36 BC. Now, now after Herod became the king, he started to appoint Edomite cronies into the priesthood. And, and there's much proof in the New Testament that the Edomites, and in Josephus, that the Edomites have a very strong presence in the government of Judea. And, and that's why Paul distinguishes the Edomites and the Israelites and, and says that not all those people are really Israel, that, that are in Israel in Romans chapter 9. And, and that's why Christ in the Revelation, in Revelation 2.9 and 3.9, tells us to beware of those who say they are Judeans and are not, but are the assembly of Satan. The, the word Judean is very confused. And, and, and a Judean is not a Jew because Judea is a Roman political district. It's a multicultural district at the time. All of the people in that Roman political district called Judea were, unless they were Greeks or Romans and, and therefore pagans, they were practicing Judaism. Which was the the religion? It's what per it's what the Hebrew religion was corrupted into, and, and because of the genetic divide in Judea and and the multicultural atmosphere, that's the reason why we have all the division in the New Testament. Okay, okay. See, yeah, this see this makes sense to me because I mean I, I look back. At, I mean, just look at Western history the past three four hundred years. And what you just described, what the what the Edomites and Canaanites did in ancient times, the Jews that we know today have done the same exact thing. Exactly, exactly. They've done the same exact thing. And yes. Hitler, Hitler actually talked. We're going to talk about this later on, but Hitler actually describes how they, how they, you know, infiltrated the nobility and the aristocracy, and they intermarried and basically corrupted and polluted the blood of, uh, you know, of the of the nobility in Europe. And then they were able to basically use, you know, once they once they were able to accomplish that, they were able to take control of the government and the formal institutions of power in in European society. Look, look at the um, look, look at all of the suspect nobility in England today, and and how many of them are intermarried with Jewish merchants. And Adolf Hitler wrote about the Prussian nobility 
who were into marrying with the Jewish merchants. Absolutely, yeah. He he definitely talks a lot about uh, you know the Prussian nobility and how they really how they really dropped the ball and they they really betrayed the German people in in, in a number of different ways, but in particular by allowing the Jews to infiltrate and and you know get a foothold in their society. Well, well, I hate to say the name of it, be, the, the, their name, because I'm going to butcher it, but it's like the Hohenstaufens or, or, or the, the Hohenzollern. I forget it. it. It's a crazy name, right? Right, right, but yeah. They were actually chosen out by the Masons. Nesta Webster wrote about this at length in, in, um, in, in her books on the conspiracy. They were actually chosen out by the Jewish merchants and the nations to lead a united Europe. And that was in the middle of the 19th century, and 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 you, Europe was it, it was the Jews who backed the royal house of Prussia, who who, who created the who who enabled the Prussian Empire. Wow, that's interesting. I I did not know that, but yeah, that that definitely makes sense. Um, and and just kind of kind of just to expand on this, Hitler actually talked, especially in the you know the first maybe two or three chapters, he he really criticizes. Um, you know the Austrian Empire at the time, because he was, you know, he was living in Austria. I believe he was born in, uh, was it Linz? He was born, yeah. I believe. Yeah. And and you know he talks about how he goes to Vienna and he actually goes in and and he and he observes the Congress taking place and and he has some very uh, powerful criticisms of democracy um, and of the uh, of the nature of the uh, of the Austrian Empire at the time and how it was essentially being taken over. By the Slavs, by the by the uh, you know the Hungarians and the Czechs and whatnot, to the detriment of the German people. And and, and do you do you have what is your perspective on that? I, well, I'd like well to... what Hitler writes about is exactly what we've seen in American society since the 1960s, where the aliens are always favored to the detriment of the white middle class American. Now, now the 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 Habsburgs were doing the same thing. They were favoring that they were bequeathing the Slavs with political advantages and political favors to curry their favor, and that was at the expense of the, the, the typical white Austrian who was a German, who, who was German by, the ra by race. The Habsburgs were, were German by, by race, ostensibly, and, and they, they were favoring, and, and politicians do it all the time. They do it all the time today. They will curry favor to minority groups hoping for their votes, and it's always at the expense of, of the majority group. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, we, we see that in America today, especially with you know all these affirmative action laws and just the basically the demonization of of the founders of this country and how this country was founded. I mean, you can't even openly talk about race without being you know immediately looked at suspiciously or, or even, you know, called a racist. I mean, you can't even, you can't even talk about these concepts because these, you know, cultural Marxists have, have essentially turned race into a social construct. And, you know, that, that's clearly not the case. I mean, I don't understand how anybody could, could think that race could be a social construct. I mean, it's just absolutely ridiculous when you think about it. Well, well, the power of the media, the power of, of that they have with their control of our textbooks. Well, controlling the textbook publishers, they're controlling our, our, our entire educational system. And, and that they've actually convinced that maybe this is the third generation that believes that race is a social construct, when in reality, civilization is a racial construct. 
and Hitler wrote about that at great length in this chapter of Mein Kampf, chapter 11. Yes, exactly right. Um, you know, Bill, we actually have a call on the line already. Um, I'll go ahead and take this call, and then if, if anybody else is interested in calling in, let's wait until uh, 7 p.m., uh, so that way we can kind of you know go over some of the things I wanted to talk about. So we'll go ahead and take uh, 860. You are on the air. What's on your mind? Hey, uh, am I there? Yep. All right. Um, hey, uh, my question is to Bill. Um, basically, you know, I don't have any problem with you. Um, I agree with 99% of, of what you believe. Um, regarding the Jews, um, you know, they might be imposters and not, you know, who they say they are. But um, archeolo- if you look in archaeology and you, you actually – tried to say that all the European tribes came from the Israelites. You know, I just, I can't see how that's possible. That's my first point. Well, well uh, so that's, say a, all that's your, a historical I question. Israelites, right? What? I didn't say all of the European tribes came from the Israelites, right? Yeah, yeah so who would you guys consider, I mean, who, who, I mean, you know, how does this work? I mean, did the Israelites blend into the European tribes, or are you saying that the European tribes descend from the Israelites because it seems like a big difference, uh, you know. There's a huge gap in the archaeological record between the the earliest identifiable Europeans, the Cro-Magnons, the Neanderthals, and, and the modern European. When you study Greco-Roman history, there is without doubt a migration pattern from the southeast to the northwest, an encroachment to the northwest in Europe and and above the Danube to the north in Europe, that's without doubt in all of the ancient Greco-Roman, Greek and Roman historians. You have to read them to understand that. You have to read them all in order to understand that basically Europe was devoid of people north of the Danube in the days of Homer. And and in the days of Herodotus, who explicitly states that, all of the Greek historians talked about how frigid it was and how inhospitable the climate was for anybody to live north of the Danube. The British Isles were settled first by Phoenicians. I can prove from the Bible and from archaeology and from history that the Phoenicians were actually the northern tribes of the Israelites. Okay, the British Isles were first inhabited and and populated, for the most part, by Phoenicians. Now, what we have is we have a biblical record and and a Homeric record of the nations of Europe, but the biblical record can date, well, well, if we want to date it from the time of Moses, which it certainly dates at least that old, what we're talking about 1500 BC, but Moses is actually writing in Genesis chapter 10 of a time much earlier than his own. He's writing of a time closer to 3000 BC. He lists the nations of the world as they are related to, to one race, the race of Noah, which is certainly white, because all of the nations he lists are white, and he classifies them into Shemites, Jephethites, and Hamites, and all of those people were white, and all of those nations can be identified. They're all identified in ancient inscriptions and in ancient archaeology as once having been white, even though they're not white today. I refer to the Libyans, to to the Egyptians, to, to the Ethiopians. The Ethiopians, 
That word means shining face. It was originally used to refer to white people. The Libyans, as as late as the time of um, the as late as the time of Virgil, the, the people in Libya and the Moors, they're, they're all fully described as being white. The tragic poets describe the Libyans as being white and, and related to the Phoenicians. Uh, uh, there's not, there were no Arab peoples at the time because the word Arab is a Hebrew word that means mixed. And, and, and if you're an Arab, you're mixed. And, and under Islam, that the Arabs were, were at one time close to being white. In Old Testament times, they weren't called Arabs explicitly. They were called Canaanites. They were called Kenites. They were called Edomites. They were called um, Ishmaelites, Nabataeans. But, but they're called Arabs because they've mixed their race with the dark races, the Nubians and, and other sub-Saharans that were brought up for the purposes of slavery under Islam which refuses to see to, to um, recognize racial barriers under Islam, they all intermarried and became mixed. The word Arab is a Hebrew word; it means mixed. Now, now um, at one, would you want? Go, go ahead, caller. Hello? Yeah, go ahead, caller. Yeah, I, you... I mean, I mean, I'll let you go right now. I mean, my question is: I mean, I don't like the idea of, of wanting to take the Hebrews as our heritage. I mean, would you want to name well, your well, children you Hebrew exactly. names? I mean, do you, Want to hear would, would, do you no. wish you were in Israel right now? I mean, what you know? What's the logical yeah, you know, conclusion yeah. of, of this uh, you don't like ideology? The, you know? It's the truth. You're going to listen to the evidence, or you're not. I, I mean, that's not not. Uh, I mean, that's not my prerogative. That's yours. You, you could just ignore the evidence because you don't like the idea. Uh, a lot of people don't like the idea Hitler was a Christian because they'd rather go along with the damn Jews and demonize them. That don't mean right, but national socialism, you know, they wanted to completely expunge the Old Testament. I mean, if you look at Alfred Rosenberg... Because they didn't understand it. Because they didn't understand Yeah. I'm not well, arguing with you. I don't disagree with you. Let me you know, say, we are going to be... Well, let me call, say, call her. Thanks, thanks for the call. Thanks for calling right, I, I got to take off. Let me focus one real quick. Once you understand that those people that God wanted... The, 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 the Israelites to exterminate were the Canaanites, and that the Canaanites were the forerunners to today's Jews, you might understand why God wanted them exterminated. You know, and, and one thing that the caller brought up about, uh, you know, Rosenberg wanting to get rid of Christianity, I, I mean, I, I don't know how much of this is true. This is something that I'm still trying to, you know, research and figure out, because there clearly was, you know, an ideological battle between I, I would say mostly Hitler and Goebbels against, you know, Bormann and, and Rosenberg and, and Bormann and Rosenberg were they seemed to be of the opinion that Christianity was, you know, the this Jewish, you know, created religion that was holding their people back. Um do you want to talk about this a little bit, Bill? What is your perspective on well, that's the big disconnect with most white nationalists today that are an, an, that have antipathy for Christianity. They take it for granted that the Jews are telling them the truth about the Bible. Yeah, yeah, that 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 makes sense to me. Do, do you know do you know what um like for instance Rosenberg um I mean I know he he talks a lot about religion and he was he was openly anti anti-Christian um in, in a lot of cases if I'm not mistaken. Do you have any any thoughts about him and and sort of the people that were in this sort of camp of the well, national well, no, actually, I don't because I haven't studied it. I've only uh, I've only studied Mein Kampf and and I've seen a lot of videos that 
that that proved beyond doubt that right until the end Hitler was a Christian, and, and they actually invoked the name of Yahweh and uh, in, in with that term, not the Lord, but Yahweh. And um, I have a video on the Mein Kampf site that shows this. He, invo he invoked the name of Yahweh for um, retribution against the Jews, for, for plunging the world into war. It, yeah. was, that they had, and the faith of Goebbels and the faith of Hitler was absolutely Christian. It was the same faith, Christian faith that the founding fathers of the United States had. They, they were, for the most part, I'm talking about John Adams and, and, and men of that caliber, they were Christians, but they were not churchgoers. That's why churchgoers can't believe that Hitler was a Christian. They can't believe Franklin was a Christian. I can prove beyond doubt from his own archives at the University of Pennsylvania Franklin was a Christian. But those, are, those letters don't get published. And when they are published, the Christian parts are left out. By, by, by most writers and authors today. But I've read them with my own eyes, and, and they're online. Anybody could go read Ben Franklin's letters at the University of Pennsylvania archives, and he was definitely a Christian. The, the, um, John Adams was definitely a Christian, but they didn't go to church, because church is not Christianity. Churchianity is not Christian. None of these major sects teach real Christianity. Any intelligent man that reads the Bible and the classics and, and all of the founding fathers read the classics. Adolf Hitler read a great number, a number of the classics. He, he draws allusions from them. He cites from them. And, and these men, anyone who's actually learned in ancient literature would understand that it's good to be a Christian and bad to go to church. Yeah, you know, that that certainly makes a lot of sense to me. And I mean, anybody that's read Mein Kampf knows that Hitler was not, you know, he wasn't against religion per se. You know, he didn't want to just totally outlaw Christianity or totally outlaw the church. In a lot of cases, he actually respected the church, he, um, he absolutely. Although, he did, although he did have, you know, criticisms of the church and that, you know, they, they were more concerned about, you know, converting other races to Christianity and, and this sort of universal perspective of Christianity. All right, and universalism is wrong, and universalism is anti-Christian. And I could go into that in great detail. The, the churches teach people to be Jews. They teach people universalism. Hitler had a huge problem with that, but he also understood that the churches were necessary in order to guide the morals of the people. And he Absolutely. He makes that clear in Mein Kampf. There's no doubt about that. The, the people, the masses of people do need a structure that, that, that guides their morals. That, that's absolutely clear from all of our history. Today, the churches are actually teaching sexual deviancy and, and the approval of sexual deviancy and, and of, of race mixing and a whole bunch of a host of other evils. And, and, and that's not good. The churches have become Jewish. Yes, yeah, that that seems clear to me as well. Um, well, you know, a, a couple other uh, things I wanted to talk about real quick, and we don't got to spend a lot of time on this. Um, there, there's so many anti-Hitler myths and slanders and, and these anti-Hitler conspiracy theories out there. Um, for instance, I remember when I first, uh, you know, I, I, I sent you an email earlier, and, and I had a link to a blog post I wrote where I kind of just explained my position on Adolf Hitler and, and how I came to it and and you know, I, I provide a number of different quotes and whatnot from Hitler and other uh, other National Socialist leaders. Um, and I mean, you, you still get people out there saying that Hitler was a Jew, or that he was a Rothschild agent, or he was a British agent, 
or the you know the, the National Socialist Party was was homosexual. Um, what do you make of all these conspiracy theories? Well, well, Adolf Hitler returned Germany to to the state of morality by ejecting the Jew, ejecting the pornographers, ejecting the the, the purveyors of smut, ejecting the Jewish theater from German society, right, from German culture, and returned it to a state of morality because Germany had become very debauched culturally during the Weimar Republic. Adolf Hitler returned it to morality, okay? The Jews hate him for that. Adolf Hitler, in the Great Depression, when the rest of the Western world was under the thumb of the Jewish international bankers and in a state of depression, which was imposed by the Jewish international bankers, they created that depression so that they could buy up all of our, our, our um, industrial wealth. Well, well, Adolf Hitler pulled off an economic miracle in Germany by creating a currency based on the, the actual labor output of man and, 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 fair, and fair trade and fair exchange without usury and, and, and all of the evils that come with the Jewish banking system. And he pulled off an economic miracle, and the Jews want to do all they can to prevent us from looking at Adolf Hitler's policies. What's the best way to do that in our circles, in, in, in the Christian right or, or the white nationalist right, however you want to term what we are, what's the best way to do that? The best way to do that is to slander Adolf Hitler and have us thinking he's a Jew and he was their tool all along. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, if, even if you investigate these conspiracy theories, they're so ridiculous and, and they're so nonsensical. I mean, it, it's amazing that people can still fall for this fall for this garbage. I mean, if anybody sits down and, and reads a chapter of Mein Kampf, they will clearly see that Adolf Hitler is in no way, shape, or form a Jew. He was not working for the Rothschilds. He was not a communist. He was not working for the bankers. The man was a patriot. You know, he, he was a Christian, like you said. He was a truth teller, and, and he cared about his people and his race. Right, but it's a very difficult read, and it takes a, 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 a lot of concentration to understand Mein Kampf. And that's beyond most people. I'm sorry, it just is. It's sad, but in the television age and the YouTube age, when people want little bits of information in short bursts and they need to continually see the scene changing so that they could remain entertained, people can't sit and read Mein Kampf. They just won't do it. And the real learning is in a lot of hard reading. People have a big problem sitting and reading. Uh, I mean, I, I have my podcasts are ten times more popular than my essays, and, and most of my essays are under five thousand words. And, and people don't read; they'll listen, but they don't read. Yeah, it's it's actually really sad. <laughs> you know, mo you're right. Most people just they can't even sit down and read an article on the internet. You know, that, let alone a book. So it's 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 really sad. You know, the the level of. Uh, just perversion and, and, and filth, you know, we, we see around us and, and just how our culture is just totally destroyed. Um, and I mean, it's it's been destroyed for some time now, but I think it's just so out in the open now. The, the Jews are so, you know, flagrant with it, you know, that they, they're just openly promoting homosexuality and, and all these other, 
you know, sickness, you know, cultural sicknesses. And, you know, it's just incredible that people still can't even recognize it. And if they do recognize it, you know, they're too intimidated to talk about it or, or try to do something about it. It's, it's really incredible how far we've sunk in. Well, well, it's it's Rome all over again. There's absolutely no doubt. Rome started in 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 the um, in Imperial Rome at the beginning. There were actually laws governing who could marry with who, and and by the third century, Caracalla. It may have been the early fourth century. Caracalla freed all the slaves. Well, well, I'm sorry. He took all the liberated slaves who who couldn't intermarry with Romans, and he made them citizens so that they could. And that was, you know, with the sexual immorality that Tacitus and the Apostle Paul spoke about in Rome in the first century, and then with the race mixing that occurred later, and the elevation of the slaves to the position of citizen, Rome couldn't stand because there was no more cohesion. And you need ethnic homogeneity in a society to create cohesion. Otherwise, there is none. Otherwise, it's every man for himself. The Jew loves to divide, to balkanize society with the different races and, and with race mixing so that race becomes nothing. And then, as Adolf Hitler explains in Chapter 11 in Mein Kampf, the fox has no care for the rabbit. Uh, I, I don't remember his exact words, but basically that's what he says. Well, well the Negro or, or the bastard has no care for, for the um, for, for the Chinaman or for the white man. It, it's never going to happen. There's no cohesion. Once race becomes meaningless, kindred and kinship become meaningless, and, and the Jew has demoted us all to the Marxist idea of man as a commodity, and that's what we become. It's yeah. Marxism oh, yeah. and, and, and race mixing, and, and, and they're all Marxism. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, in, in Chapter 10, he's talking about the collapse of the Second Reich, and, and he's just going through and, and, and showing how the society had been so corrupted and so polluted with, you know, there was all sorts of foreigners in Germany working, um, you know, uh, pornography, prostitution was rampant. Um, you know, people that people were just it, basically it's it, he was describing modern day America, you know, as you read this chapter. And he, well, talk, and he talks about I was going to say he talks about cultural Bolshevism. Which is, you know, it's essentially cultural Marxism, and I know you've talked about these subjects on some of the podcasts you've done. Do you want to, you want to kind of expand on this a little bit? Well, well, cultural Bolshevism. Yeah, you know that old Russia was what was taken in the Bolshevik Revolution. I understand that the word Bolshevik means majority party member and and all that. The old Russian Congress. That that's yeah, you know. But Bolshevism, what we understand Bolshevism as as the um. A word that describes the revolution in Russia. Well, we've undergone what, which you know, was absolutely radical. It, it shocked people that the um, the cruelty of the Jews, who were able to bring in both Orientals and, sadly, Latvians from Europe to to be their foot soldiers. And, and 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 you bring in these aliens from outside who have no care for the for the for the um the indigenous people and, and the the amazing cruelty just shocked the russians and and, and the um i i don't i don't even know how to term it the, the the degree of cruelty and and violence and and debauchery 
that the Jews were perpetrating in Russia that that's called, that that's that that's active Bolshevism, right? That's a Bolshevik revolution, right? And and that's the only way I have to describe that. It's just absolutely horrible. And, and the um the the average white Christian can't fathom how somebody could be so cruel to 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 basically peacekeeping people. Well, well, cultural Bolshevism it is sort of using that same shock value and and, and the the same amount of debauchery but within what within certain limits and, and that's what we saw in America in the nineteen sixties and seventies, what with the what with the sexual revolution and the woman's revolution and, and now the gay rights revolution. You you see men marching up New York, um, Fifth Avenue in New York with thongs on. And, and we see it in the media, and, and it comes out of Hollywood every day. It's absolutely disgusting, the things that are on television. And, and, and when, when they started, um, when, when, the, when the mainstream media started talking about oral sex with Bill Clinton and the Jewess Monica Lewinsky every night, that, that's a very mild form of cultural Bolshevism. It shocks people. But it also gets people used to seeing it all the time and hearing it all the time. So what you end up with is a generation of 12- and 13-year-old girls and boys who understand um, what was being discussed, and they start practicing it. Yeah, yep, absolutely. That's cultural Bolshevism. That's the best example I have at hand, that that is cultural Bolshevism, that they use shock and awe in order to um get people desensitized and 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 they devoid them of their morals right and and they normalize this this cultural perversion to where it's what it's done yeah they they totally and see that that's that's the the true nature of the jew they they basically invert all that is good and natural in the world and and totally destroy it because that that's their nature and and people just simply don't understand this. They don't recognize this. And Hitler actually talks about this as well. And in, in Mein Kampf, he talks about how, you know, the, the the people that were supposed to be champions of German culture fail to recognize the destructive nature of Jewry. Just and and that's what happened. You know, in, if you look at the Chicago Seven, they were almost all Jews. All of the '60s radicals, they were almost exclusively Jews and. A great number of them were students in the university of the men of the Frankfurt School, Theodore Adorno, Herbert Marcuse, these Jews that came over here in the 1930s and 40s and, and, and had a lot of, of backing from certain bankers here and, 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 and wealthy men who, who were Jewish here and, and got into all of these that these universities, they infiltrated all of these universities. They started at Columbia in New York City, and it was Rockefeller that put them there, who was ultimately responsible for putting them there. And, and from Columbia, that they got into many other universities across the country, and, and that they are the the um, that they were the vanguard of cultural Bolshevism here. It was those men who were responsible for bringing up a generation of mostly Jewish university students 
who hit, who beat the streets in the 1960s and 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 gave us all, all of those the, the sexual revolution and and everything that followed, and, and that was cultural Bolshevism. Yeah, absolutely. I, I actually just did a blog post titled "Organized Jewry: Destroyers of Western Civilization," and uh, one of the first uh, one of the first sources that I cite is Kevin McDonald's "Culture of Critique." And he basically describes this cultural Marxism and how it was essentially a systematic effort to, to destroy European societies and European cultures and all that they stood for. Well, well, it absolutely was, and, and it's even more involved because the media gave it play every night. The media gave it play. Every, they put all their attention on that, and, and that was organized. That, that was meant to be. They did that on purpose. It, it's it, it's um, Jews promoting Jews promoting Jews, and 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 they they use their power of media control and their ability to to put the, these um, ingrates into the streets to cause all this trouble, and, and the media created the sensation. The ingrates by themselves wouldn't have been such a sensation if it wasn't for all the the media attention that they received from the Jewish controlled media. Yeah, exactly. That that's that's definitely a key factor in this. And I have a quote here from McDonald and, and he was just writing I, I just took a little quote here from the preface of his book. And he says that the Western intellectual world has become Judaized, that Jewish attitudes, interests, Jewish likes and dislikes now constitute the culture of the West, and it's internalized by Jews and non-Jews alike. So we basically have a Jewish culture. So you know, it's it's no wonder we see all this filth on on you know television nowadays. It's no wonder we give billions of dollars to Israel and and you know allow them to attack us like they did on 9/11. And you know, it's just it's absolutely incredible. You know, when you really think of the magnitude of of this systematic effort to totally destroy Western culture. Well, well, that's exactly what it was. That there's no doubt. Yep, yep. It seems seems crystal clear to me, and uh, I think most people listening probably probably agree with us here. Well, well, you know, Hitler in this chapter, he he does a very um, excellent job of of outlining all of their methods, how, how they infiltrate. At the beginning, how they infiltrated um, medieval European principalities and kingdoms at the very beginning to to get themselves into a position to to finance and support later waves of corruption, and and it, it's incredible, and 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 they're able to use the same recipe over and over again, and it always seems to work. Yeah, exactly. That's uh, yeah. Reading that reading that section, um, I believe it's like the last. 10 or 12 pages of this chapter we're talking about. And he literally just breaks it down point by point and just shows what the Jews have done and, and how they've done it. Um, and, and just explains it perfectly. And it's like, lo looking back on it, you know, he, he wrote this in, in what, 1924, 2025. And it, you know, you look at a, you look at modern America and, and, you know, the past 50, 60 years of American history. And it is the exact you know the, the exact same playbook that the Jews have used, and yet we still can't recognize it as a society. Well, well, the bottom line is that a real Christian would never even accept the person of a Jew. And as soon as we accept the person of a Jew, we're already corrupted. A, a real Christian should never even accept 
the person of the Jew. There's no such thing as a Jew for Jesus. There's no such thing as a good Jew, a religious Jew, a pious Jew. Every Jew is an antichrist. And a real Christian would never accept their persons. And that's what the New Testament teaches. Right. Interesting. You know, um, one thing I wanted to ask you about, too, is, you know, I, I get a lot of comments on my blog from people that say that, that National Socialism and, and Fascism are really, you know, Jewish-inspired ideologies. And, I mean, to, to me, this is so such a ridiculous statement to even make. Um, but I'd, I'd like for you to maybe talk a little about talk a little bit about the differences between international capitalism and international communism versus you know an ideology like national socialism or fascism. Well, well, real socialism, real socialism, it is it, it exists long before Marx. Marxism is not socialism by any means. Real socialism insists that the means of production be put into the hands of the producers, okay? As opposed to feudalism, where a noble class by rights of birth hold the means of production, and the producers are allowed to use the means of production for a fee. Where capitalism means that a usurer a, a, a well-financed usurer holds the means of production and, and hires the producers and pays them a, a small wage. Uh, I, I, I mean, there's um, Hitler's National Socialism. Under the National Socialist Program, that the object was that the producers hold the means of production and that the producers are paid for the value of their production. And, and 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 that would be an equitable wage system, and, and um, it, it can be argued how to deploy that because there were capitalists even in National Socialist Germany. There were factory owners, right? So so it wasn't. But but Marxism is not pure economic socialism. And in, in Marxism, Marxism is basically the political. Um, manifestation of Talmudism, where a, a, a bunch of serfs slave for pennies under the whip of a Jewish landlord, and, and, and that's how the Soviet system worked. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, e either way you look at international capitalism or international communism, it's essentially Jews ending up with all the money and all the power. Well, right. It's Capitalism is actually a Jewish invention. That right. Because Christians in the Middle Ages did not practice usury. Christians were barred from practicing usury. Christians are not capitalists. Capitalism is evil. Capitalism is anti-Christian, it, it's anti-biblical, and it's evil. That The creation of money that automatically demands interest just because it's created, that's evil. That, that's sinful. That, that's incredibly evil. Right. Yeah. Th this this concept of usury is just fundamentally corrupt. I mean, this this is something that I've been saying for a long time. I mean, I went down to uh, the the one of the Occupy. Uh, I live out here in San Diego, and I went down to one of the Occupy San Diego protests, and and I was talking about usury and and how it's this is an issue that we all need to be talking about. Now, of course, the whole Occupy movement is essentially a a bunch of communists and hippies. 
you know, they're, they're not trying to really change anything. But anyways, I mean, just this basic concept of usury, you know, people fail to talk about it. The, the communists themselves don't even talk about usury and how fundamentally corrupt it is, you know. Um, and, and I think that's probably because, you know, the, the capitalists funded the communists from the beginning. But Well, well as an aside, the, Mussolini's fascism was actually very much like it, – it, it, he uses the term corporatism, but it has nothing to do with American and, and modern companies, right? It, Mussolini's fascism was very close to the, the organic socialism, which was theorized by political philosophers in, in, in the, in, in the 18, early – 19th century. Right, yeah, I have a quote here from uh, Count Va what's his name? Count von Bothmer. He was one of the uh, the early members of the NSDAP, and this is how he describes socialism, and it's uh, the identification of the individual with his community in devotion and service to an organic whole, the nation. So there's this, you know, this concept of of nationalism. You know, innate in socialism, it seems to me, anyways. At least the the socialism that's coming out of Germany at the, in in this time period. Well, actually, a lot of the early national socialists were French. Ah, okay, interesting. I did not know that. A lot of them were actually French. And, and yes, I was talking from purely economic terms. But yes, that that there is a, an ethnic or organically ethnic facet of socialism, right? You can't have socialism. Socialism does not work in, in a non-homogenous society. And, and when I say socialism, I don't mean Marxism. That's crazy that people associate socialism with Marxism. That was a Jew trick in order to try to make Marxism sound acceptable. They took the term socialism, they borrowed it from the German and French economic theorists of, 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 of earlier times, and they perverted it. To, and, and used it to describe Marxism, which is basically just Jewish rule over a Goyim majority. And, and, and Marxism is, is um, well, well, Hitler talks about how absurd it is and, and says that only the absurd part can ever be put to practice. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. I think that's exactly right. And, um, you know, one other part of this uh, part of this chapter I wanted to bring up to you is uh, at the very beginning – Hitler talks about, you know, dividing mankind basically into three categories. One is the founders of culture, the second is the champions of culture, and the third is the destroyers of culture. Um, are you familiar with this part of this chapter, and do, do you have any comments about this? I've read all of Mein Kampf, but I'm really not familiar with that. I'm sorry. Okay. Hitler see the Aryan race as being the, the founders of culture. Uh, I think that he... he um, he buys into the universalist paradigm in, in a lot of ways by, by actually um, maybe not quite glorifying but speaking well of the Aryan peoples who had left Europe and, and founded colonies overseas and ruled over foreign peoples. But he says, and, and he admits, and this is absolutely true, that once they start mixing with the indigenous aliens, it's all downhill from there. And that is what happened in South America. That is what happened with, with the Aryan tribes who wandered in earlier times into Asia and, and into Africa and, and other places. The Egyptians were originally a white culture. As soon as they started intermarrying with the Nubians, 
they were before you know it, they were overrun with the Nubians and, and look at Egypt today. And the same thing with Ethiopia, which at, at one time the Horn of Africa was actually a colony of um, the Babylonian Empire, and, and that's why they carried the same name in, in ancient times. In, in the Hebrew Bible, they were both known as Cush. The ancient Greeks knew both areas as Ethiopia. But the um, As soon as they started mixing with the indigenous people, they, they went down the tubes. It, it's not... From a biblical and Christian perspective, it's not our role to rule over the other races. We can never civilize the non-white races. It doesn't last. We can bring a we can get away with, I should say, bringing a minority of them in amongst us and having them act like us. But without us, or once we're all mixed in with them, we're doomed, and civilization is doomed. We are the bearers of civilization, and, and that can be proven the world over. As soon as we leave, all of those places we formerly civilized will degenerate again in, into the condition they were before we got there. Right, and, and you know, Hitler is always demonized as some sort of, you know, quote-unquote white supremacist or whatever. And, you know, reading this chapter, I, I don't – I mean, I, I just simply don't see him as being a supremacist or, or you know, being – sort of of the opinion that that the, the the white Aryan man is the pinnacle of God's creation or however you want to term it. I don't see him, you know, be you know, having that sort of supremacist mindset. He's just being very matter of fact about it. Well well he does state that, but he doesn't he, he when he states it, he is very matter of fact about it. But because if you use history and and, and um achievement as your guidelines, the white race is culture, culturally and intellectually more superior to all the other races. It's very clear. Uh, I mean, com compare Africa to Europe. Let's sit down and do it. Let, let's sit down and talk about black achievements and oriental achievements to, to white achievements because the orientals have nothing if it weren't for whites. Ditto with the blacks. They have nothing if it weren't for whites. Everything of value in Asia today was brought there by Europeans. Everything of value in Africa today was brought there by Europeans. The, the black man has sat on the richest continent on the planet for, for tens of thousands of years and created nothing from it. Right, and and you know another thing, um, sort of along these same lines. I know I've I, I know I've heard you cover on your on your programs is how. International capitalism basically facilitates the exploitation of the nation, of you know of the nation's intellectual achievements, their you know their their manufacturing, their inventions, and you know we've seen that you know how all of a sudden China has all our technology, and you know we we have nothing, and the Jews sold it to China because they you know they have agents all over the government. Exactly. Um, I, wanna, I mean, yeah, I was going to say, I, do you want to kind of explain this because I think people still have this totally distorted view of fascism and fascism is basically it's it's not opposed to the free market by any means but it basically just doesn't allow somebody to exploit the nation you know to to, to profit at the expense of everybody else well well right if you sit in a community in in Iowa and you're an engineer and you because of the fact that that's a peaceful community, 
it, it, in Iowa, I would imagine it would be an ethnically homogenous community. And, and you have people coming to your house and, and um, taking your trash away. You have people that work to deliver electricity to your house, to deliver water to your house. Yet you have people that um, cut your meat for you and, and pick your vegetables. And, and this is the, the, the general laborers of the wider community, right? And they all work in harmony with each other so that everybody in the community can exist, can subside, can, can have sustenance, okay? We don't see it that way because we look at the world through the Jewish lens of ego and individualism, which is what the Jew has taught us to do on television and in his magazines and his books. But when you, the engineer, can sit in a community in Iowa and develop your little engines or, or whatever you're building, well, well that you're, you're able to do that because of all the contributions of all the people in your community around you. If it wasn't for their contributions, you would be out in the field picking your own vegetables, slaughtering your own chickens and cattle, yet you would be fighting off your own Indians, yet you would be fighting off your own criminals, yet you wouldn't have time to build your little engines. You see what I mean? Right, yeah, exactly. So you may be gifted and, and more brilliant than the average man, but you can't do a damn thing without the average man, without all of your your your, your wider kindred and, and the other people that, that are ethnically related to you in this community. You're not going to do anything without them. So when you, being a product of that race, which you are, are able to create something great, well, the entire community has a stake in that because you ain't doing it without them. That's the principle behind National Socialism. You're not going to take that engine and give it to the damn Chinese. You're not going to do it because it's not yours to give away. You belong to the community, to your race, to your tribe, as well as your invention if it weren't for the community, you weren't going to develop that. You would never get it done. So you owe it to your community to keep it there so that your community benefits from it. Now, can you take this machine that you built and, and make copies and sell them and profit from it? Of course you can. But that technology belongs, that, that community has a stake in it as well as you do. Right. So basically, it's just a recognition of the need to protect the nation from, you know, the, the parasites, you know, the international capitalists. Absolutely. The international right. capitalists will take it, that, that, that they will monetize it, they'll buy it up, they'll pack it up, and they'll ship it to China where they can make more money off it. And they don't care about the community. They don't care about the people. A race creates civilization. Civilization is a racial construct. You don't see invention in China. You don't see it. I'm sorry, you might, oh, what about this school? They have that patent, or what about these people? All of that came from the West. Every bit of it came from the West. If the West took back everything they gave the Chinese, they'd still be sitting in grass skirts, in rice paddies, scratching the gnats out of their behinds, hoping for rain. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I, th I think you're probably right, actually. And, and you know what, Bill? We got another call on the line here. Um, this, I believe, is Siegfried. He's another host on the Truth Militia Network. So let me go ahead and uh, bring Siegfried up real quick. 
Hey, buddy, are Hello. you with us? Yep. Hi, uh, Mr. Fink. Right? Uh, I'm saying that correctly, right? Yeah. Um, I just got to check out your site. Yeah, yeah. Um, I just got to check out your site pretty recently. Um, um, it's very interesting to me. Um, I just want to reiterate some stuff you said already on this broadcast. Civilization is indeed a creation from race. I mean, dispelling this notion is just uh, insanity, in my opinion. It's 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 dangerous, and we should avoid that. And you, people should be proud and and want to investigate the origins and and the fruits of their race, what what they've been, what they've created over the um, centuries. And people like you, uh, I just want to applaud for you know at least attempting to come at the truth of it. That's that's amazing. And um, as far as what you said today so far, um, the, you're very right about the subtle forms of cultural Marxism in this country alone being put out there, given airtime and places in the papers and uh, on the radio airwaves. It, it merely giving the presence of some of these things, uh, usually sexual in nature. That's alone damaging, in my opinion. You know, I grew up during that time with the uh, the Lewinsky BS. Uh, it's just, it's just, what it does is just fuel, converse, at the very least, fuels conversations about it throughout the world. And I don't think that's, I don't think that's productive whatsoever. Um, let's see here. I'm sorry. Um, you're also right about socialism. To think that a Jew came up with this is just laughable because it was never the contention nor the aim of the Jew to help the working man in any way, form. Well, well of course You're... not. The proletariat is a tool so they could gain control and destroy the middle class. Yes. Yes. Um... You're also right about the counterculture. That was thoroughly Jewish. Thoroughly Jewish. Uh, every You look at all the key individuals, all of them, besides the bands, of course. You know, they get the goy, goyim to play in their bands, and then they produce the records for them. And then, I mean, that's the only area they don't actually have personnel in, in some of these bands. But, yes, you're right. They're, it's all Jewish almost, pretty much. Um but here's I'm gonna I'm gonna piss off a lot of people. I don't know if I'll piss off you right now with this. Um, I, I, it's just that I grew up Christian. I was raised a Christian, and I mean, even today, even back then, this is this is how I viewed Jesus. I saw him in at least his stereotypical view without throughout the media, you know, whatever. You know, he's gentle, he's peaceful, he, he loves the poor. Th th those kind of qualities is uh, anti-Jewish. Jews never Jews never want to be gentle or peaceful I, nor I like, love the poor. Uh, I'm sorry, I like to say that if Jesus was a Jew, he would have been doing stand-up instead of parables. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> um and you were talking about the balkanization in the USSR. I mean, I can compare America to that. Um, and the Jews just love doing that, just creating these big experiments for them. You know, sell their products, get people mixed racially and politically disunited and fighting amongst each other and not understanding what's actually going on and 
just creating these situations where they're not going to get themselves out without actually banding together in a real way. They just love it. They love those things, just like the USSR. That's what that's what I see it as. But I had a question for you as well, um, John. If that's okay. Yeah, go ahead. We got um, we actually got another caller on the line too, so we'll we'll take your question and then we'll go to the next caller. All right, excellent. Um, now again, I, I haven't gone through your site that much, uh, Mr. Fink, but um, I don't know. I don't. What's your take on people saying that pre-Islam India is Aryan is is part of our the greater Aryan civilization? I mean, what do you think about the old text like the Bhagavad Gita and the Mahabharata? What do you think about that kind of stuff? Well, well, there are probably corruptions, and and, and they're with, with a lot of alien influences, but they were originally Aryan in nature, right? And and even Buddha was a Saka. Buddha was a Saxon. That's true. Even Eli James is right about that. But I first read that theory from Doctor George Moore, who wrote a book in 1862 called The Lost Tribes and the Saxons of the East and the Saxons of the West, which he was right about. And, and um, the, the subtitle was something about a new theory on the origins of Buddhism, and, and he was right about. And, and he, it, it was 1862 that the first Englishman postulated that Buddha was white, and he was right, he was. Okay. Well, Very interesting. India has been a crossroads for many races for a long, oh, long yeah. time. Oh, yeah. Right? Very the, long time, the, yeah. Dravidians and 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 um, Arabs and and Asians and and it's basically a cesspool of human DNA, and it's even though I, I can profess and I understand that some of the Vedic literature is certainly of Aryan origin, I don't know. Yet you know it's hard to tell how much it's been polluted by non-Aryans over the last thousand years because the yeah. the, the literature is not of the antiquity that's claimed for it. Great antiquity is claimed for this literature, and it cannot be established, either by archaeology or historically, that the literature is actually that old. Right, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of uh, squabbling academically as to that alone. Uh, well, well okay. all, that, that all comes from the postulation of, of one linguist, right? Right, yeah. I, I well, can they say these yeah. between Sanskrit and Hebrew, actually. But, but that doesn't mean that Sanskrit's older than Hebrew. It doesn't mean that at all. Mm-hmm. Now, are you, Bill? I'm sorry. Are you talking about uh, Zachariah Stitchin? Well, well, Zachariah Stitchin's a Jew and a clown. I, I wouldn't give right. him the time of day. And anybody to follow Zachariah Stitchin, I wouldn't give the time of day. <laughs> a liar and a fraud. I, I read most. I, I mean, I don't read ancient cuneiform. Don't get me wrong, but I don't think he did either. That the um, I, I've read most. I, I've read scholarly academic translations of most of the inscriptions that Zechariah Sitchin lied about, the, the Sumerian and Akkadian inscriptions. All right, well, okay. Siegfried, did you have anything else for us? No, that's great. Um, great show so far, Mr. Fink. Uh, it's great to have you on the show. Um, I'll be listening. Thanks a lot. All right, buddy. Thanks, man. All right, we got we got one more call, and I believe this might be Rich, um, another host on the Truth Militia. Rich, is that you? No, uh, yes. Can you hear me? Oh yeah, I can hear you. Go ahead. I'm sorry, I thought yeah, I thought no, it was Rich. Is, uh, no, no, I'm, I'm calling you from Tennessee. Uh, okay. I use I use my, my my handle, you know, in, in these circles. 
that I used to post on uh, many sites. I'll post it on your site. I go by eServant. Okay. Um, if I make uh, make make a few comments and uh, and uh, ask a couple questions to, to Mr. Fink. Be my guest. Go ahead. Yeah. Um, well, I just uh, first and foremost, uh, the show's fantastic. Uh, just started following you probably about a month ago. Uh, Mr. Fink, uh, come across your work, uh, work as well. Just a few weeks ago, through uh, many of the uh, Jew wise sites that I follow and. Uh, I woke up to the to the JQ, uh, you know, bit by bit, probably starting about uh, 10 years ago, uh, like many people uh, did. I'm a kind of a self-described recovering ex-liberal. Um, <laughs> not that I ever I ever set out to be that way. Uh, I think um, uh, Jared Taylor once said one time in a speech that uh, he basically became a liberal just by breathing the air around him as he was growing up, and I'd say that would kind of uh, – fit for myself and, and you know, not being raised as a traditionalist or as a conservative. You know, you're well, well I grew up in New Jersey, so I know exactly what you're, what you're saying, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, that's – if I, I, I'm, I'm uh, thoroughly of a mindset that if you're not uh, – you know, if you don't have an upbringing that is um, cognizant of these issues, that you'll set out to give you a conservative or a Christian or, or a traditionalist mindset – that you're going to become a liberal. Um, it's just impossible. And through the school of hard knocks, through through real life, uh, like many other people have experienced, of course, uh, they all woke up bit by bit. Um, and, uh, you know, for the last couple of years, probably the last three years, I uh, started to follow a lot of the sites. I'm sure everybody, you know, listening, and you guys are uh, familiar with the whole, you know, the, the, the whole circuit. And, uh, and, and it was very refreshing coming across you, Mr. Fink, and uh, your guys' show here, um, I part of my awakening was uh, coming to uh, Christianity as well, and uh, I totally could not agree with you anymore, uh, Mr. Fink, about uh, churchianity. Um, I've been saying this myself for years, just just based on my own study. Uh, nobody ever took me to a church. I never listened to a minister. Um, had a series of events that prompted me to begin to read the Bible ten years ago, and read it for myself, and, and actually spent a few years uh, studying it, and. Um, like I said, I couldn't agree with you more. Um, well, what we see being practiced in the mainstream churches is, is, is more Jewish than the Jews, in my opinion. Um, as you said, it's just you know, it's a material worship. It's uh, uh, what did you call it? The uh, the the what doctrine? Joel, prosperity, prosperity, right? The prosperity doctrine. Yes, yes, yes. Exactly, exactly. The prosperity doctrine. And my reading of the Bible, and obviously yours as well. Um, it does not take that at all in any way, shape, or form. And uh, anyway, uh, what I really wanted to get to is that um, I find it quite frustrating, and I'd like to get your thoughts on it, um, that there's, there's an obvious um, you know, great divide. I don't know if we can call it a movement. Do you, do you want to call it a movement? You know, the, the Jew-wise movement? I don't know, the anti-Jewish movement? Uh, but anyway, to those that are Jew-wise, you know, in this community online, it seems to be a sharp, sharp divide. Uh, between you know uh, Christian believers and and those that are just rabidly anti-Christian, and uh, you know I'm, I'm firmly convinced that just like you said, Mr. Fink, you know they're they're seen and I don't blame them. Um, I say the same thing. I don't associate with any so-called self-proclaimed church-going Christians in any shape or form. I agree with them totally, but they don't even seem to be um, at all receptive to even be able to try to explain some of the things that you were saying here. That what these people are, are espousing or practicing has nothing to do with biblical Christianity. Go ahead. Nothing at all. 
Only God can open their eyes. It, it's, I can't. I can tell somebody all history and all scripture and, and give them all the citations. And uh, I've tried it with Judeo-Christian after Judeo-Christian, and, and I've been branded a racist and a hater and a supremacist and, and, and a fascist and a Nazi by Judeo-Christian after Judeo-Christian. But they don't want to hear it. The power of propaganda, the, the power of belonging to a large group that you believe and, and you're convinced is on the side of right – that that's very hard to overcome in a man's mind, and it's very hard to convince a man who who believes a certain way for thirty, forty, fifty years that everything he's ever learned is wrong. And it takes a very humble man. It takes an extremely humble man to study your arguments in in an honest way and admit that he was wrong. It takes a great amount of humility. I, I was fortunate in that I, I was raised in Jersey City and turned off from the Catholic Church. I was raised a Catholic, even, even though my, my, my grandparents, I had Lutherans and Yankee yeah, Baptists on both. On, on, I, I my, think I remember you mentioning that from another show just a little while yeah. ago. And I was raised a Catholic, and, and um, I was very turned off by the Catholic Church by 6th, 7th grade. And I knew it was all about money and power and and influence and 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 it was garbage. And and I was an apostate for most of my life uh, until I found um, Christian identity. And that's when I read the Bible. I, I always okay. God. I couldn't believe in evolution. I, I read Carl Sagan and I read Stephen Hawking. So I read a brief history of time. I didn't read the whole thing because it was trash. Uh -huh. and, and I don't think I got to the third chapter, but it was garbage. And and I knew that evolution was what was um, a, a thinking. Oh, well, it's, uh, that's, that's thinking one that I often try to bring up. That if anybody you know that is a, is you know an anti-Christian, okay, uh, let's forget. I'm not trying to convert anybody. Like you said, I agree with you completely, uh, Mr. C. You know, I'm not going to convert anybody. You know, that that's that's the work of God. Uh, but just trying to you know, I mean, one thing I'll say when I when I was not a practicing Christian, um, I was never rabidly anti-Christian. I mean, I wouldn't openly call somebody out and disrespect of religion and you know some of the things that you see on 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 some of the, the blogs you know that are frequent in this movement uh you know against uh people that are supposedly you know on our side on the jq i mean it's just you know that you people are worse than jews you need to all be shot uh you know you're traitors i mean it's just sometimes it's just way way over the top and uh at least one thing that i i try to uh, you know, bring around a little bit to maybe spark something, just, you know, just to kind of lay off, like to say, hey, okay, look, if you're never going to be a Christian, you don't want to be a Christian, you have no use for the Bible, that's fine. I'm not trying to convert you, but I don't think we need the animosity. And so I try to bring up, because what you just brought up on the revolution there just a few years ago, probably about five years ago, you know, I started to see some of the scientific work uh, done on it. And, uh, you know, in all honesty, it's way easier to believe in um uh, you know, canes uh, turning into snakes in the Old Testament than it is in the fairy tale of evolution that has no scientific, um, absolutely no scientific backing. There's none, period, zero, when you look at it. Uh, once I started looking at that, I, I was just completely floored. Uh, it's just as flimsy as the Holocaust. Would you agree? Well, well, absolutely. It's probably flimsier than the Holocaust. There's probably more evidence of the Holocaust. At least we have Jews. Most people don't understand... Ancient European history, they've never read it, That they, they, they've never picked up a classic and, and, and read it, or Herodotus, or a Homer, or an Aeschylus, or a Euripides, and, and um, that they'll never, um, e even the later historians, Bede, Jordanus, they'll never read them. 
that they sit on shelves that they might mention them. They might see a cool quote once in a while on the Internet and quote it on their websites. They'll never actually read them. Guys like Charlie Giuliani have, have probably read nothing before 1940 or 1950, except maybe the Bible, and that's only because he, he did go to a seminary, right? Well, well anyway, aside from that, if, if you don't understand ancient European history, you won't understand why our ancestors adopted Christianity. And why they did it, basically, with um, there was a little hostility among some of the Germanic tribes, but not a whole lot. Not, not a whole lot comparatively, and, and they adopted a Christianity, which at the time was 100% opposed to Judaism and the Jews. Mm -hmm. And now, yeah, look, at, now look at modern Christianity. Well, without knowing what you that. do, I mean, you know, I, I, I could never even begin to, con I, I, I know enough to know that, you know, I, I, could, I, can, I can hear, uh, uh, you know, an erudite informed individual, uh, you know, when, when, uh, I can recognize one when I hear them. You know, but I, I could never, uh, you know, I'd, I'd basically a sponge in your presence. But I know enough to, to definitely, intuitively, I think, uh, to be able to say, yeah, I can definitely, definitely believe that. Sorry, go ahead. Didn't mean to interrupt. I, I, thought, I thought John may have wanted to say something. I'm sorry. Oh, no, I was just going to say, um, when, when you were talking about, you know, how you know, modern Christianity or, or, you know, mainstream Christianity has just been totally subverted and corrupted. I mean, it's not even anywhere close to, to how Christianity was founded. Well, well, right. And and even later on, in the, the Byzantine kings had shut the Juwada society totally. They shut, and, and St. Thomas Aquinas, he, he wrote that the Jew should by no means be allowed to keep anything that he's gained through usury. But But today, money... Jewish money has corrupted the world, and, and, and it, it's incredible how, how people basically worship the Jews today. They're worshiping the Antichrist. Well, well let, let me take that and run with that a little bit, uh, Mr. Fink, because this is something, and I'd like to get your thoughts on this. You know, what the future holds for us, you know, literally God only knows. Um, I personally am of the view that the real only chance that we have um, – is, is for some sort of breakup of the country. I think there's just way too many, uh, you know, zombies that are uh, willing participants that will never wake up. All you'll get is hostility from them. Uh, they're not worth trying to convert. It's just an exercise in futility. And, uh, you know, the Jewish power structure is way too entrenched to be able to make any type of move upon it. The only thing that can happen is it falls under its own, own weight, and, and then we have, you know, some sort of opportunity to, to maybe – you know, foreign communities amongst our own. And I think at the very minimum, at least right now, you know, the best we can do. And uh, you, uh, I believe, uh, John, who are your, your other hosts on here, Keith and? Keith and Rich, they broadcast on Sunday evenings. And then uh -huh. Siegfried broadcasts on Tuesday evenings. And I believe there's going to be a couple other guys broadcasting. I don't have all the details in front of me. Um, but if you just... all right, well, no, I was yeah, I was just looking for Keith and Richard's name because I was I was listening to them like last week, and once again they were just spot on uh, talking about you know usury, uh, you know, the not giving your money to the the, the ridiculous uh, movie industry or whatever it may be, you know. And I, I I've been living that way for quite some time. I, I don't know if I'm just unfortunate or lucky. My whole life, way 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 before, even when I was uh, you know a practicing liberal, I've, I've never used credit. I've never financed things. I've never had a credit card. I've always worked, saved, and, and paid cash. 
right now, I, I just bought a place that uh, I bypassed the bank, uh, paying on land uh, with, with a double-wide trailer on it, uh, direct to the owner, and we'll have it paid off in a year. And I, I would not go to a bank. I just find it absolutely insane. Um, but even still, I can guarantee you guys that uh, you know, we'll be able to take a survey among so many of the GUIs that post on, on these sites. I can guarantee you, uh, what would you guys say, 50%, 75%? Have uh, credit cards, have loans, financing have cars, cards. you know, mortgage uh, I, up the ass. Right. Uh, I don't have one uh, ounce of debt. I have zero debt. I have no money, and I have no debt. And, and that's the way mm-hmm. I want to stay. And, and I'll tell you, Mike Delaney, ProSync.org, he's the same way. He has no debt. Mm-hmm. He doesn't take out any loans, no credit cards, mm-hmm. no nothing. But most, well, what about think, this? most of the guys in this movement – that they they have engaged with, with the entire system. They go to movies. They watch television shows. That that they watch sporting events. That yeah, that I don't they even have a TV actors. or cable. And, and and that's all evil. And and it's the little things. It, if we and if we can do the little things, that then we can move on to the big things. You're never going to be able to do the big things if you can't do the little things. If you got a car loan and a card, you, you forget it. You're no kind of leader in, in this movement. You're, you're no more. sincere Christian or even sincere white nationalist. Even if, if you're not a Christian and you really want to be a sincere white nationalist, what the hell are you doing in a movie theater? Mm-hmm. It, it's Couldn't agree more. So, so uh, Mr. Fink, what would you say? Because I've proposed this many times in discussions on blogs, and I get nothing, absolutely nothing, no, no interest. Because I, I people don't, don't want to give up their that. entertainment, and they don't want to change. They, they don't want to actually change their lives. They'd rather sit there and bitch about everybody else changing something. What, what would be so hard of starting to form, you know, smaller network, basically doing what the Jew does? Well, we, we, you know, you mentioned Mike Delaney. I understand, you know, uh, just from what he posts on there, he's pretty good with the computer. Well, I need computer work done. You know, nowadays we can do everything over the Internet. We can do it via mail, et cetera. But my, all, my, all my computer business goes to Mike Delaney. Well, well you know right. I mean? I, I, networking I, I, between I, ourselves, keeping our money between ourselves, no usury. You know, no money going to the Jew. But nobody ever said – to me, I think that's a very simple thing to bring up. It's something completely practical. We can start it very easily with a small network. Nobody expresses any interest in any way, shape, or form. And I think to myself, if people won't even do that, what are we even doing? Like, what are we even talk, talking about this for? It, it seems to be nothing more than, than Jewish entertainment, as though they've given us our websites so we can yak on forever and ever and ever. But they know we'll never do anything because it's just like another sitcom to most people. Well, well, I mentioned Mike because he's the only other guy I know that that's actually has a website, has a blog, is vocal about the Jews, but who who lives more, more probably even better than I do by, by eschewing all of that, right? And and that's that's what if you're talking to talk, you better be able to walk the walk, and and that's the bottom sure. line. And most of these guys sure. are not walking the walk. So, so what do you, what, what's your thoughts on that, Mr. Frank? I mean, how do you see it come around? Do you, do you not? I mean, what, what do you see the problems? So how do you see things develop? Well, well yeah, you know, I, I, I've spoken on eschatology at great length in my podcast. I have a book, Christrike, that, that's a um, – it, it's an expounding of the revelation, which proves the his. I believe it proves it right. The historicity of the revelation and exactly how it's unfolded in history and where we are today. 
and and it's the the because of my knowledge of history and 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 the veracity of biblical prophecy, that's why I I, I believe what I do about the future. And, and there's a lot of things we don't know, but what we're basically waiting for, what where we're basically at in the Revelation is in 1913 and and before that in some European nations, basically we're told our kingdom would be handed over to the beast. Read Revelation chapter 17, verse 17. And in Revelation chapter 18, Babylon falls. That, that's mystery Babylon. It is this political, economic, and social globalist system. And, and, and mm. we're told that that has to fall. And then we're to depart from Babylon, my people, lest ye suffer, lest ye suffer her punishments. And, and, and when... As, as, when the shit hits the fan, right? My my language. That 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 this world system, this artificial system that the Jews have set up in this central bank, it can't last forever. It's going to have to crumble. When it does, a lot of people are going to suffer. The people that don't suffer are the people that aren't partying with the devil. The people that are partying with the devil, the people that are that are that that are mixed in with the non-white races, the people that are in the cities, in the casinos, and and engaged in in the world as as a Christian would call it, those people are going to, going to suffer the most. The people that have lived austere lives, and 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 you, you may not have all the tools necessary to support yourself, but the people that don't mind getting out there and getting their hands dirty and working for their food, those people are going to survive. Okay, great. Uh, let me give you a final question here, and because uh, I, I mean I could sit here all night with you guys and, and talk, but uh, and I don't want to don't don't want to get greedy here with my first call. Uh, <laughs> no, go ahead. This is this is interesting. I'm glad you called in. Great, great. I'm, I'm glad I called in too. Uh, um, if, if you're not comfortable in this, I, I'm, I'm asking um, just personally, just to know a little bit more about you, because a couple times I've heard you speak, Mr. Fink. Um, I've been very impressed. Um, like I said, as far as uh, your biblical interpretation goes, um, uh, I haven't heard anything uh, that I don't see completely eye to eye with, uh, and I find it very educational and informative for, uh, you know, from, from your uh, point of view. Uh, you're very well spoken. Um, and so uh, I had just, like I said, I didn't even know about you, I think, in, uh, you know, over a month ago. And uh, when I first came across, um, you were mentioned in some discussion um, about having formerly worked with um, – I'll be on the name here. Uh, you already mentioned him tonight. Uh, uh, another CI of Eli James. or ex-pastor, yeah. Eli James, yes. And uh, now you guys supposedly had a falling out. And I'm just asking, I'm not asking you to get into any of that, but, you know, if obviously if I find you credible and, and well-spoken, et cetera, uh, you know, and feeling out other people that are, you know, into the movement or, or you know, first on this, I'm just wondering if you could give me your, your thoughts on that and, Maybe who he is, or, or what happened, or, or something. Well, I'm not talking about Eli James, to be honest with you here. I, I really wouldn't. I'm sorry? I only post that there's posts on Christagenia which explain why we we parted ways. That oh, there so are, I can find it there. Yeah, yeah, you can find it on Christagenia on, under okay, um, okay. under discussion under. Opinion, you'll find the anatomy of my split with Eli James. That there are many posts on okay. the forum and on the forum at Christagenia, forum.christagenia.org. What which and, yeah, and I've got a bookmark. I know, I know your site. I haven't really been through it, right. but I know the site. There, there are many posts on my forum 
discussing my split with Eli James and, and reasons okay. for our differences, but I, I'd really rather not talk about Eli here. He would probably like Eli. He's magnanimous. He's friendly. He's warm. He can talk a good talk, and everybody likes him for that reason. He, yeah, you know, the people that get to know him, he's popular with because of those qualities. But that doesn't make him an honest scholar, and I'll leave it at that. Sure. Great. Well, thank you, thank you very much for the call. Appreciate it. And uh, yeah, thank you. Well, yeah. you guys keep up the good work, and I'll be uh, following you all and. Uh, I'll probably be calling in again in the near future. I'll try to catch as many shows as I can. All right. Sounds good. Thanks a lot for the call. All right. Take care. Take care. And uh, just a little heads up to everybody. Eli is actually supposed to be my guest next week, um, so be sure to tune into that. I'll, I'll make an announcement on my blog once I confirm it and, and you know, just make sure that everything's good to go for next week. So, yeah, he, he is scheduled to be my guest, and we're going to be talking more about his his views on the Bible and, and Christian identity identity in general, so it should be another interesting show. Um, now, Bill, we got about we technically have about 20 minutes left. I think I pretty much covered most of the topics I wanted to to talk to you about with uh, you know, with Adolf Hitler and Mein Kampf. There was one more though that that I thought I'd bring up real quick, and I, I know you've talked about it on your program with Severus, um, and that's that's this idea of ethnic nationalism versus civic nationalism. And I really view civic nationalism as just a, essentially a, a socially constructed nationalism or a socially constructed identity. It's um, officially constructed, right? Okay. So, do you want? Can you do you mind just kind of breaking both these concepts down and and, and explaining them and, and then giving us your take on it? Well, well, in in order to have a nation, the word nation comes from the Latin word natus. It means birth. In, in order to have a nation, the, the Greek word ethnos is often translated nation, and, and ethnos is the word that we get ethnicity from. People have um, bonds of kinship and blood and can look at each other and recognize each other. And because they could look at each other and recognize each other and understand each other and they have common ancestors, they can be patriotic together, that they can have affinities for each other. That And, and Hitler tried to explain that in this, in, in this chapter of Mein Kampf. They will have affinities for each other and, and make sacrifices for each other, that they will make sacrifices even unto death for each other. If you have a bulk a, a, a society that's not racially homogenized, people are going to have, and, and we see this over and over again in history, they're going to have jealousies and antipathy for each other. They're going to have envy in, in that society. Certain groups are always going to feel slighted because they're in a minority or, or because the minority is being catered to. And, 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 and that's natural, that there's natural rivalries, there's a natural um, will to cling to people who are in your image and, and have your spirit. And when you take people from multiple races and put them in one nation and, and try to give them a common goal, it, it, it might work temporarily as long as they're getting a reward. And, and when the reward runs out, they're going to turn on each other. It's nature. It has to happen. It's the way God created us. There's no way around it. Right, and and I think the reason why I brought I bring this up is because um, probably about a month ago, um, right, right, actually before the election, the the uh, presidential election, 
I was reading the Jerusalem Post, and they had an editorial that was basically, you know, just bragging that it doesn't matter, you know, who wins the presidential election. They're they're both, you know, puppets of Israel. Blah blah blah. That's and true. and in this editorial, they actually talk about this idea of civic nationalism versus ethnic nationalism, and they say basically that. You know, the majority of countries around the world, national identity is tied to blood and land, but Israel and America are not that way. They well, talk well, about the Jews that have convinced America that we're not that way, but we were that way. Okay, sure. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree with you 100%. And I was going to say, the organized, you know, Jewish community has basically been leading this push, you know, to, to, to get everybody to accept the idea that. You know, America is the land of immigrants, and and you know everybody can come to America and succeed. And you know, the, the, where they basically they don't want to talk about race, they don't want to talk about what a real nation is. Um, you know, they just promote this sort of, well, it's it's essentially a cultural Marxist idea. Absolutely, and and the Jews started doing it. That they started doing it in the late 19th century. What when Jacob Schiff had had actually imported many Jews into this nation, and, and also the New York bankers had pushed for, for immigration on a large scale from Southern and Eastern Europe. And a lot of Southern Europeans are just as white as Northern Europeans, and a lot of Eastern Europeans are just as white as Northern Europeans, but the problem is that even though they were white, they were Catholic. They had a different history. They didn't have the, the 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 common experience that the people that founded this nation had, who were from Northern and Western Europe, they they were basically German, Dutch, English, Irish, and Scottish. And and even when the Irish came in in large numbers in the 1870s, those Irish were Catholics. That and and some one of them was my 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 grandmother's parents, right? That 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 they were Catholics with a different experience and a different set of allegiances. It balkanized the nation, it moved the political center to the left, and, and it created changes in the nation that set up the the course that the that, that the bankers wanted, what was to integrate the nation with other races. And and that was just the beginning of it, what was to mix up the you know, to allow the Southern and, and when the Southern Europeans came in, a lot of those were actually Jews claiming to be Sicilians or Hungarians, and they were actually Jews, or Poles, and they were actually Jews. So, so that there are a lot of problems, and whenever you look at one event where the nation turned bad, you could find a predecessor event. I mean, it never ends, right? It's, I mean, all the way back to George Washington, you could find some event what were, well, I mean, the first imperialist was Thomas Jefferson when he sent the Navy to Montezuma, right? So, or, or George Washington what, with, the, with, with the, the Stamp Act and, and putting it down militarily when, when, the, what, when the hillbillies rebelled against their alcohol getting taxed. So, so that there's always a problem. Uh, I mean, that there's never one incident that we could point to as the signal incident that corrupted the nation. But but um, it, it's we have to learn to recognize the patterns and and how things go bad, and we still haven't done that. And, yeah, and <laughs> yeah, exactly. We still haven't done that, and we've been, you know, we've had great men like Adolf Hitler to rise up and tell us exactly what the problem is and how to go about fixing it, and yet we still, you know, we still fall for the Jewish propaganda every time. Well, well, right. No government of man. I mean, Hitler had his flaws. No government of man is ever going to be perfect. 
But, but National Socialism, if I had to identify one political paradigm that was the most Christian on the face of the planet the last 300 years, it, it would be National Socialism. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I, I think that makes a lot of sense. And, um, yeah, I think there's a lot to learn from Adolf Hitler and National Socialist Germany. Um, and and just, so just to just to close up the program tonight, Bill, what it what do you think? Why is it important to study Adolf Hitler? Why is it important to read Mein Kampf and to and to really dig into this material? What, to, to you, what 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 is the significance of it in the long run? To to gain an appreciation for our own white race, to understand who the corruptors of the, our race are and what their motives and and their methods are. And to understand how a society could develop if we only barred their influences. And Germany was in the 1930s was actually functioned as a great white Christian nation. It, it, it was basically a utopia. The word utopia means no place, right? A, a place that can't exist. Well, well, it was basically a utopia. Right. Yeah, exactly. I mean, they, they really proved to the world that you know, once you eliminate the the Jewish influence from your from your government, from your education, from your culture in general, and you know, you totally eliminate the concept of usury and and, and paying private Jewish banks money on loans that they just basically make up out of nothing. You know, they they really they really showed us you know how to do it, and you know, we're still we're still trying to learn about it and and get there, and and who knows, maybe one day we'll we'll finally figure it out. Um. But anyways, I want to thank you so much for coming on the program. It's it's it was really an honor to have you on here. I've I've learned a great deal from you just over the past three or four months that I've been following your work. So you know, keep up the good work. And um, once again, everybody can check out Bill's website at chrisagenia.org. Um, I will go ahead and and post a link on my blog when I post this tonight. And definitely check out the Mindcom project because there is a a ton of good information on that website. Um, and, and really, I'd encourage everybody to, to purchase a copy of Mein Kampf and, and really sit down and read it because it is a very profound book to read. Um, it's, it's totally insightful on so many levels. Um, you know, it's an absolute, absolutely brilliant book. So I'd, I'd really encourage everybody to go ahead and read it. Um, and so, so Bill, go ahead. Anybody who, and anybody, and, and I have to apologize because utopia actually means a good place. I screwed up. But, but any, anybody who criticizes Adolf Hitler. Or, or who claims to be able to criticize Adolf Hitler, who has not read Mein Kampf, and, and I don't mean the Mannheim edition, which is garbage, I mean the Murphy or the Ford editions, who has not read them, is no expert at all, and shouldn't be even listened to. Jim Condit's never read Mein Kampf. Nobody should listen to that clown for five minutes about Adolf Hitler. Not even five seconds, because he's never read Adolf Hitler, his own words. If you want to criticize Christianity, you better have been a reader of the Bible and, and at least know what you're criticizing. And, and that's it, – it's, it, it's, I don't know how people set themselves up to be experts in this world without actually having read the literature. If you haven't read Mein Kampf, you have no right making a judgment on Adolf Hitler because you really don't understand the man. You can't. 
Absolutely. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And, and, you know, that's really what when I was first learning about Adolf Hitler and, and you know, you, you immediately discovered or discover the work of Jim Condit and some of these other guys out there saying that he was some Rothschild agent or whatever. You know, until you sit down and read his book, you know, you, you may entertain that idea, but as soon as you read the book, everything will be cleared up and you will recognize, you know, who Adolf Hitler was and what he really stood for. So, well, that's going to wrap up our program tonight, folks. Thanks again, Bill, for coming on. I really appreciate it. Um, next week, like I said, I should have Eli James on to talk a little bit more about religion and, and Christian identity. So well, be well, sure to tune in. But that's okay. Praise Christ, and thank you for having me. Yeah, no problem. Thanks a lot. Thanks for tuning in, guys. We'll see you next time. Same place, same time. This is John Friend signing off on this Monday, December 3rd edition of Truth Militia Radio. Thanks a lot, guys.